Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold a spot in Jeremiah chapter 18. If you don't have your Bible with you, no sweat. Uh, you can use the downloaded notes, and we're also going to have the scriptures up on the screen. I'm excited. We're starting a new series, and it's called Humble, right? And to get us thinking for part one in the right direction, let me ask you a question. Would you agree or disagree that making assumptions in relationships can be dangerous? You say, Kenny, what does that look like? Well, you assumed something to be true about the other person, their likes, their dislikes, and then you acted on that assumption only to find out that you assumed wrong, right? That ever happened to you? I'll never forget, I made an assumption about my wife's musical likes. I, I love jazz music. And so I actually assumed that Chrissy did too. And so for our anniversary, I got her other things, but I also got her this record, this amazing jazz musician. And so I would play it all the time. I'm assuming, oh man, she loves it just as much as I do. We get in the car, we're assuming. And like a few weeks go by and I'm playing this, this music all the time. And I went to go put it in the car uh, just one more time. And then literally it was like, don't play that music. I'm like, wait, whoa, what, what, what happened? Right? She's like, I don't like this music. And it was just like, it's like, oh, see the music died <laughs> literally and in a lot more ways, but I just made an assumption. That, that she liked it without really asking the question, hey, do you like you know jazz music? Do you like this person? Assumptions in relationships are a bummer for a couple of big reasons. And the first reason is you're not connecting when you think you're connecting. Like this whole time, like for a couple of weeks, I think, oh, this is great, we're connecting. No, because I never asked, but I assumed. And then I'm in my assumption, I think, oh man, we're connecting, this is awesome. She loves it, I love it. Isn't it awesome? No, it wasn't, clearly. Uh, and assumptions are bad for a second reason. It's energy that you're investing without insight that turns into energy that you're wasting, right? And it turns into regret later. And it always starts with, well, I thought, and then you discover later, to your regret, you thought, wrong. And the reason I set up Humble in this series that way is that you don't want to make assumptions in your relationship with God. That's why we have God's word. And the Bible gives us insight into God's likes, his dislikes, how the relationship works so that it can be great. And you don't you can stop guessing and you can start connecting with God on a foundational level. And there's two things that the Bible says uh, make a relationship with God really thrive. And the first one is faith, of course, right? Without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible to please God. So there's a little insight, a little intel, right? That trusting God, trusting what he says, trusting who he is, trusting his promises, his word, uh, his direction in your life, when you trust that, when you commit to that without knowing, the outcome, because that's what faith is, committing without knowing what to what God says, 
that pleases God. It makes the relationship thrive. A second thing that is foundational to a really healthy relationship with God is humility. And that's where we're going to start this series. We're going to start in the Bible where it talks about humility. We're going to define biblical humility. Going to see uh, a little passage from Jeremiah 18 that kind of unpacks it. And then we're going to look at a couple big ideas because we got to get humility right if we're going to get a relationship with God right. So let's look at our first verse at the top of your notes. If you're, if you're online and you haven't downloaded the notes, please download the notes because it, it helps you see the scripture. You can have it and you can reteach it later on. So let's look at our, our key verse for the Humble Series, part one. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So, headline, newsflash, you get humility right, you get God right. If you don't get humility right, you won't. And you might think you're connecting, but you're not connecting, right? You're investing energy, you might be wasting energy. So the Bible clearly says that God isn't too keen on pride, but he shows favor. In some translations you're reading out there, it says he gives grace to the humble. Anybody need a little bit more grace? Yeah, I do. Well, you know how you get that in a relationship with God? Be humble. So when you know that, it's interesting, the scripture's emphatic. It's like, okay, God's opposed to pride and he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that he can lift you up, right? So there's God and then there's us. What's cool is, is that even though God is who he is, when we humble ourselves before him, he starts to relate to us because we have the proper attitude and thinking. Now, let's go for a biblical definition of what humility is based on this passage and based on the scripture that we're gonna see. Humility in the Bible is having a correct estimation of who you are in light of who God is in position and in spirit, expressed in one's attitude and as a condition of one's character. So there's a, an aspect of humility that's positional, right? There's God and then there's me, but then there's also an aspect of humility which is an attitude or a way of thinking or in your spirit, right? It's an approach, right, to God that is an attitude and we're gonna unpack that. Now, I asked you to hold a spot in Jeremiah chapter 18 because we're gonna look at some verses where we can see a very clear picture of the biblical definition of humility, how it, it sort of plays out, what God's attitude is toward himself and towards us. So Jeremiah chapter 18, verses one through 11, it will be on the screen or you can follow along in your notes. It says this, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working on the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the, the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I, can I not do with you, Israel, 
as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and actions. So you have this picture of the man of God, and, and God wants to give him insight into how God properly relates with his people, and he takes him to the potter's house. You can imagine Jeremiah kind of either seeing directly the potter, you know, and I'm moving my leg here, working on that wheel, getting that wheel going, and he's shaping this clay, all right? And the potter and the clay is God and us, and there's some lessons that God wants us to get using this picture that he showed Jeremiah, and now, right now, he's showing uh, you and I. So what does God want us to know, all right? The first thing God wants us to know is God's not asking for advice, right? We read in the passage that the potter does the shaping as seemed best to him, right? So the potter is not, is not asking for advice. He's, he's got thoughts in his mind. There's a vision in the mind of the potter. They're shaping and the potter's not asking the clay for advice. Secondly, we can observe that, that God's controlling the process, right? God says, you are in my hand, right? So control is a big thing. There's us and then there's God and it wouldn't make sense if the, if the clay was trying to control the potter. That just, that just doesn't make sense, right? The potter controls the process. God says, you are in my hand. What's God saying to us right now? Through this very clear picture, he says, I'm shaping you and your life as I deem best based on my intentions. Also, I'm in control of the process. You are in my hand. I'm not in your hand, all right? Third thing, God's fashioning my circumstances. You see that there's, uh, God is using these analogies and he's, he's saying, you know, if there's a people or a nation and I have a plan to, uh, to discipline or judge that nation, but if they, if they turn, if they repent, if they, I, can, I can change the plan. I can change what I intended um, to do, right? He says, I will reconsider. And so the key for the clay, right? The thing that's being shaped, right? The thing that's being controlled by the potter is to choose to work with the potter, to, to turn, to turn toward God, you know? And so that's the admonition in here. So let's, let's take those observations and then just kind of put a big idea 
uh, as a bow around it and a punctuation mark. The big idea is this, if you're taking notes, the lesser submits to the greater. The lesser submits to the greater. And that goes back to our definition of what biblical humility is in a relationship with God. It's having a correct estimation of who you are, the lesser, in light of who God is, the greater, in position and in spirit, okay? But that requires humility, right? That's why, Bible, that's why God says to um, the nation or the people that are not, not working with God to turn, right? It takes humility to go, all right, you're God, I'm not, you're in control, I'm not, I'm gonna turn from how I'm doing things over to how you do, you want me to do life. And do you notice in the image that the vessel in the potter's house was marred, okay? It wasn't, it was out of, out of, out of, out of a proper shape. And that's a spiritual parable because Israel, and so do we, um, we're marred. We're marred morally, we're marred spiritually. And, and the lesson of the potter's house is a lesson to awaken God's people, right? That, you know what? You, you chose some things and you marred your life morally, spiritually, and there's this awakening. You gotta turn from those choices and turn back to God. And what I love is that it's a lesson of awakening and repentance. And don't miss that in this beautiful uh, picture. You know, God will use circumstances. He will use uh, a prophetic word, uh, a word from the Bible to awaken us to new choices and, and to repentance. Now, if, if I choose to mar myself, right, God, God will do what he has to do, all right? But also, if in humility, I repent, right? God is free to relent. That rhymes. When I repent in humility, God's free to relent, right? So God is a loving father. He can admonish and chastise, all right? When we don't repent, when we don't have a change of mind, and we continue forward in our pride. He might even be doing that with some of you right now. Or... We can, in humility, we can repent, which is what he's saying in this passage. He's saying each one of you, right? Individually, right? Turn from your evil ways. Each one of you reform your ways and actions, right? And then, then now he's free to relent from the discipline or judgment that he intended, okay? So it's a cool picture. And in this picture, lastly, we see God's, God's power, and that's manifested in his, his shaping uh, plan. He can, he can shape, he can reshape, that's God. But we also see um, his pity. We, we see how the vessel was marred, right? Just like we are from our imperfection and our brokenness and sin and fear and insecurities and pride. We're marred, but God can work with what is marred, he can take what is marred, he can reshape what is marred, and he can redeem that, that pot. He can redeem our lives and reshape it. So can I just say to hundreds of you watching this, um, you feel right now like, 
I made a choice and I marred my life. Well, just do what the scripture says and let the potter, let God humble yourself under God's mighty hand and let him redeem what is marred. Turn toward him, humble yourself, start listening to God in faith versus pride. Humble yourself and he can redeem what is marred. God wants to show pity on us but we have to have an attitude flip. So that's our next kind of point of, of study here is, man, we gotta get our heads right if we're gonna get God right because the person God intended and created you and I uh, to be, we have to be humble in order for that to happen. And humble allows us to do the works that God intended for us when he created it. So we gotta look at how we think about ourselves in this relationship with God and how humble thinking is required, all right? So what does humble think? Number one, humble thinks, I'm a son being molded by a father, parentheses, a very loving father, right? It says this in Isaiah 64, it says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. I love that image. And I know that there are thousands of dudes watching this global live stream. And I know that, that, that your molding might have been like my molding by my earthly father, all right? And that's actually how I got marred. You know, I didn't have a model, I didn't have a mentor. Uh, the messaging was, was, was all off. And, and so my model for manhood or for masculinity, just being a human being, right, uh, got sent off into a direction which was a direct response to either the absence or the misshaping that happened growing up. But you know, my wife would tell you that God remolded me, my father, right, my father in heaven. And I just want you to know that that's, that, that God is loving, God's a father, God has you as a son, and we need to humble ourselves before our heavenly father and let him be our model. Let, let God the father be our mentor, right? Teach us, instruct us, model for us, be our mentor, and let him message us about who we are, right? Let him say the truest things uh, about us and trust those things. So humble thinks I'm a son being molded by a father. Isn't that a great thought? So whatever your background, good or bad, molding and shaping by your earthly father, right? You're gonna get molded in a relationship with God and he wants to be your father. In fact, when Jesus said, how will we pray? How do we, how do we see this relationship? It starts with two words, our Father, right? It's very intimate right there. So that's the first way humble thinks. Secondly, humble thinks, I am created to cooperate. You notice in the passage, and we're gonna look at another one, where it's like clay has to work in the hand of the potter, right? Created to cooperate versus what? Created to quarrel, right? God says in the Jeremiah passage, it's like, you know, can the clay, how, how can the clay say, 
you know, back to the potter, why, why are you doing this? And that's reflected as well in the Isaiah passage. Isaiah 45 verses 9 and 10 says this, Woe to those, listen, who quarrel with their maker, right? Those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, why are you, uh, what, are, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? And so it's this weird, inverted, prideful talk back of the clay to the shaper of the, the clay. And so the opposite of that is humble. Humble thinks, no, I'm created to cooperate, not quarrel. It's sort of like um, this image I have. My, my mother-in-law was a surgical nurse for like three decades. And so she was in the surgical suite. And as a surgical nurse, you know, there's, a, there's this teamwork that's, that's going on. There's this cooperation, right? There's, there's the surgeon and then there's, you know, he's asking for the hemostat, he's asking for the scalpel, he's asking for the retractor, right? As he, as he works on, you see that cooper, that cooperation, right? But that takes an attitude of humility. One person knows more and is more capable than the other. And so as we talked about, the lesser submits to the greater and that's the picture of humility. You have a correct estimation of who you are in light of who God is in position and in spirit. So I'm a son being molded by a father. I am created to cooperate, right? And then third, humble thinks I'm subject to his vision for my life versus whose vision? Versus your vision versus culture's vision versus the vision maybe some trauma has directed you in where you got super hurt and it made you think differently about who you are, your self-perception. But God has a vision for your life. That's what I want you to hear. And it's a good one. He knows the plans he has for you, plans for your welfare, not calamity to give you a future and a hope. He's got a very clear vision for you and you're subject to his vision, listen, and his intention. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 19 to 21. It says, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? Right? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Right, And so we see... In the passage, there's, there's, the, there's what is being formed, that's me. You're being formed by God. He has a vision for your life. And then there's the former, the one who forms, that's God. And, and the idea is, is that, man, we're, we're being molded by the Father. We're created to cooperate, and he has a very clear vision, although that vision um, may not be clear to us in the moment, but he's using all things to shape us. So that's how humble thinks. Now, why talk about thinking humbly, right? As a son being molded by a father, created to cooperate. I gotta subject myself to his vision. Why do I have to think that way? Because humble thinking leads to humble behavior, okay? Now there's, there's actions that flow out of my thinking, right? So my thinking, my beliefs always lead to behaviors to make this relationship 
work. So here's the question, it's right on your notes. How does clay work with the potter exactly? In other words, what does humble behavior look like? Not to me, but to God, all right? Let's look at three three aspects of humble behavior that flow out of these, these this thinking and beliefs we just talked about. Number one, humble is teachable in my attitude with God. Humble, what does it look like to God? It's teachable in my attitude versus what? Prideful, well, how does prideful look to God? Well, it's someone saying, oh, you know, yeah, you're you, but I know better. That's pride, I know better, right? Teachable versus what? Fearful, which is, yeah, I, I know you're you, and I, I've, I've heard what you say, but if I do it your way, I'm afraid that my needs won't get met when I want them to get met, so I'm gonna take charge of my life, right? It's like, thanks, but no thanks. Hear what you're saying, considered it. In pride or fear, I'm rejecting it, and that's where we learn that pride and fear are two sides of the same coin right? Pride says, I know better. Fear says, I know how to meet my needs better, right? I'm afraid you won't meet them the right way. And so wherever you see pride, usually you see an underlying fear because you assert your own will out of pride and fear, right? Look at what it says here in Ezekiel 36. It's this transition from a prideful and fearful, which in the Bible is the equivalent of hard, over to a teachable heart, which is soft, right? Listen to the passage from Ezekiel. God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So do you see the transition, right? The, the heart of stone versus the heart of flesh. The heart of stone clearly is hard, right? The heart of flesh clearly is soft, right? It's teachable. And when you have a soft, humble, teachable heart in this relationship with God, God says this, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Question, are you hard or soft toward God today? It's an important question to answer because on the other side of that answer, right, is a strong, healthy, thriving relationship with God that you're gonna have to trust. Second, all right, behavior. So first behavior is humble, is teachable with God in your attitude. Second, humble is flexible when asked by God. All right? Now, just to set this up, any of you guys listening to me who are parents, right, you've seen what happens in your kids when their expectations are met or when the plans change. And what's the first request or desire once the plans change? What are you hoping for? Well, you're hoping, right, for flexibility, right? So I remember, so like thousands of times because plans change, expectations aren't met. It's like, all right, we're gonna have to be flexible here, right? Because the plan has changed. You ever noticed in life, the plan changes? Where God, who's in control of your life, you had, you had the lanes drawn, you had the destination selected, it was input in your mind, 
and then all of a sudden, etch a sketch, right? Blank slate now. That that plan is gone, and now the plan has changed. And what's God looking for? Well, God's looking for what any good father is looking for. It's like, all right, how are you going to respond? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to be flexible in my hands now that I've changed the plan? And actually, um, it says in the Bible directly that that's the kind of flexibility that makes you a man after God's own heart. Let's look at Acts 13, 22. It says this, after removing Saul... He made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Listen to this. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, that's a picture of flexibility, right? That's because David was not just teachable, but he was flexible, you know, when a lot of circumstances in his life took a turn, man, went off road. Right? It's like, all right, what do you want me to do now, Lord? And some of you are saying the same thing. It's sort of like you were, you had the lane set, you had the destination programmed in, and then all of a sudden you're off-road. That plan is is way in the rear view now. And God's wondering how you're gonna respond to him. And he's wondering if you just say, Okay, Lord, right, what what do you want from me now in this new this new circumstance? Right? He will do everything I want him to do. Now, we all know that David didn't always do the right thing, right? David was imperfect. Uh, David, David chose poorly, like really bad, with a lot of consequences, but then did he do, still do what God wanted him to do? Yes, he did, he turned, he repented, right? Read Psalm 34, read Psalm 51. You know, those are, those are Psalms written by David where it shows that he's doing what we talked about in Jeremiah 18, where he's turning from his ways and coming back to God, right? And then God starts this process of redeeming, but David did what God wanted him to do after David made a bad choice. It's not that we're gonna be free from making bad choices, but we have a choice then after we make the bad choice and experience the consequences, what are you gonna do then? Well, God required that David confess what he did was wrong, admit, to him, what was wrong? He said, David said, I have sinned against you and you only. And then ask for forgiveness from God and put a new spirit inside of him to do God's will and ways. And that's what David did. So when the Bible says about this imperfect man, you know, he's a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. It's not because he made every perfect decision and had this linear line of, of God-pleasing, right? No, he, he pleased the Lord and then he made a mistake, but then he confessed and he got right with God and then he, he moved forward and then he made another bad decision and then he, he confessed that, right? He did what God wanted him to do when he messed up. He got honest with himself, with God, and with other people, right? And that's what God's calling us to do. So, you know, when the, ch the plan changes, when we make a mistake, when we, we, we make a choice that, that, that just sidetracks us from the destination that we thought, God's looking for flexibility, but humility is required, both for teaching, for flexibility, and then third, humble is faithful to God's vision. You see, as we've been studying in part one, just that potter clay, you know, analogy. You know, the potter has a vision for the clay, right? 
The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship. Get the picture? Created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God has intended and prepared for us to do in advance. Ephesians 2.10. And God's got a vision for us, and the Bible talks about that precise vision that, that the potter has. And it talks about it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, And we all, you and me, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you and I are in this process of transformation where the potter is transforming the marred clay. He's taking everything, and he's got this plan, and he wants us to, to reform us and to reshape us uh, into his image. All right, that's his vision, and, and it gets even more specific in Romans 8, 28, and 29. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. So, God gives us a little bit of intel, right? So we're to be teachable in our attitude with God, flexible when asked, but faithful to God's vision. What's God's vision? It's Christ-likeness. He wants you and I to have the family resemblance. So if you want to know what the potter's doing, if you want to know how he's using all these circumstances in your life, one vision, one mission. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, working in you, God working around you, us cooperating humbly with God to become like Jesus. That's his number one vision. He wants you to have the family resemblance. That's why the Bible says that he, referring to Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, right? Where we have the family resemblance, right? So. God wants us to be like our brother, King, Jesus, all right? So there's the picture, there's the definition of humble. You want this to work right? You gotta learn humility, right? That's having a right estimation of yourself in light of God, both positionally, but also in terms of your attitude, right? And there's humble thinking that leads to humble behavior that looks to God like teachability, flexibility, and faithfulness to God's overarching superstory and plan to make you like Christ. And you see, this is what accomplishes the other stuff in our lives, because when we become like Christ in our character, the conduct takes care of itself. So you can confidently say and believe and humbly submit to the fact that God is using everything in your life to make you like Jesus, right? He's, he's chipping away out of this block of marble called you, everything that's not Jesus. And sometimes through circumstances, he chips away a little thing. Sometimes he chips away a big thing, but he's clear, right? And our attitude in letting him do that, that he needs from us is humility. So here's the bottom line of humble as we kind of land the plane 
is, write this down, less control and more surrender. That's how we know, right? That's how we know we have humility in our lives. We're, we're not trying to grab control from God out of pride and fear. And that goes to our theme verse, God's opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. It's like, yeah, that's how we work together, right? So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he can lift you up. Man, it's so cool what humility does. Humility is kind of like a superpower in the Christian life, but we've got to have it there. We've got to have faith and we've got to have humility. So God is uh, working well with men listening to me right now who are surrendered humbly to his vision and becoming like Christ, the same Christ uh, who entered our brokenness and this broken world started redeeming it, that same Christ, right, Who's, who told his men, right, that whoever believes will do the works I've been doing and greater works than these will they do. But the key to entering into those greater works is humility, surrender to the person and work of Jesus. This is the same Christ God's forming in you that spent three years with 12 guys and it resulted in a 21 century blast zone of movement called Christianity. Same Christ that God, this is mind blowing, is forming in you. So, question, are you humble? Are you surrendered? Have you given over control to the potter of your life? Even in a marred condition. You know, there's, there's lots of guys right now I know, the Lord is speaking, where you think, yeah, but I'm really marred. I messed up my life. Well, all that is required for the marred ones, and we're all marred, but some days we feel more marred than others, right? Is that we turn, that we turn from self to God that we turn from self-sufficiency and pride to humble and healthy dependency. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna do what the Bible says, right? In light of who God is and who we are, we're gonna humble ourselves before God. Would you pray with me? Father, we humble ourselves before you. You're our creator. We're the created, you're the vine. We're just a branch and we need your life. You're the shepherd. And humbly, we would say, as sheep, we need your protection and direction and provision in our lives. You're the master. And humbly, we would say, we're the servants. Like, you're the teacher. And we need your wisdom. Humbly, we ask for your wisdom as the student. Lord, you're the savior. And we are the saved. God, we thank you today that you can take us imperfect, marred morally, marred spiritually, and, and you can put us on the wheel, Father, and I just see you right now. I see you taking men's lives, and I see you taking the marring of their lives, others hurting them, them hurting others, choices that have been made, Lord. I see your wheel, and I see your hands, 
Lord. I see your mighty hands taking those things and redeeming them, Lord. And I thank you, God, that you're working with us to clay, Lord. Help us to be teachable in your hands. Help us to be flexible, Lord, when asked by you to do something that's clear in your word and spoken to us by the Spirit of God in our minds, Lord, that shows love for you, love for other people, Lord. Help us to be faithful to your vision. Help us to work with you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to faith and humility. And right now, the best that we know how, we humble ourselves before you, God. And in the name of Jesus, we ask you to lift us up. Make us like Christ, for it's in his name and according to your word that we pray. Amen. Powerful, powerful, powerful session, all right? If you enjoyed this, just, man, make sure you share this with other men that you know, download the notes, reteach it um, at your church, with your men's small group, with your sons and daughters. Um, that's why we do all these things here at Everyman. And as we head into uh, the end of the year, I just wanna ask you to consider if this is a blessing to you, consider um, making a part of your generous giving Everyman Ministries. Because we're praying for you and we love you. God bless you.